Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here this week with a special guest co-host. I'm joined by Chris George Zuger. Zugs, how's it going, man? I am peachy keen, brother. How you doing? Peachy keen. I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's uh, yeah, doing pretty well. Can't really complain. You know, got off of uh, cut off of Facebook this week. Didn't delete the Facebook. I uh, uninstalled it from my phone, which has made me significantly happier as an individual. I would say, just been pretty nice. I give you a week, dude. It's so hard. You know, people. My mom immediately texted me and like, you know, she was she was like, what about all your pictures? And I'm like, well, it just that's why I just got rid of it on my phone, man, because people are people are wild about that crap. I don't know. I don't understand it. Anyways, uh, so Zuger is on a radio show with me with Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio um, the second Wednesday of every month called Reality Paranormal, where we talk about you know, the world of the weird and spooky and conspiracies and all that kind of stuff. And essentially the setup is Dave, um, has experienced almost everything, uh, essentially. And so he is a very strong believer in these things. And then Zuger and I are more of the, um, I don't know, skeptical, I guess you'd say to some extent, but essentially we're the ones that are kind of like, you know, no gnomes don't really exist. It's going to be okay. It's, It's not that I'm skeptical. It's that there is just so much bullshit. Can I swear on the show? Uh, yeah, you can. Okay, there is so much bullshit that has permeated the strange and the weird that I don't even know how to like it. It, it is entertainment, uh, pro wrestling style schlock a lot of the time to appease the lowest common denominator of intelligence in society. Well, it's a, it's a hard thing because, and that's kind of why I think, you know, why I find talking to you so interesting because you have actually had experiences yourself, you know? And I mean, I, I never really have the, the few experience that I, that the few experiences that I would consider to be paranormal ish, I guess, um, I've, I've kind of come to understand them as not being strange in any way, you know, as having, uh, physical explanations that I'm comfortable with and happy with. So, you know, I've never experienced anything that's really made me think, well, I have no explanation for that at all. Uh, but you, on the other hand, have had those experiences and yet in some ways are even more outspoken than I am um, about those kinds of issues. You know, it, it's because I have something called integrity and I do not have any patience whatsoever well, so, <laughs> for yeah. ridiculousness or stuff that is just so outlandish that it, it that there's no realm of possibility that it could exist or even if there is a possibility it's like there's so many differences like we could have like 150 people uh, or peoples of extraterrestrial origins that are coming to this you know outback nowhere planet that's spinning an average star 
you know, in, in the, the recesses, the boondocks of the galaxy. And apparently <laughs> they're abducting people or they're here to save us or they're here to enslave us or they're here to eat us or, you know, whatever, whatever the flavor of the week is. They're here. They're here for our gold or they're here for the Mayans gold or they're here to make pyramids or, or, yeah, or they're here to, you know, get nice and, uh, you know, uh, personal with you in a, uh, anal type of fashion, right? It's something. you know, which is, it's just okay if you, that's your thing, but Hey, <laughs> so we don't judge. We don't judge the, the, so I think one of the big challenges for me about those topics, right. Is knowing people who have had legitimate and oftentimes scary experiences that they've described to me, knowing these people, knowing that at least believing that they wouldn't lie to me, you know, and, and being able to tell, you know, I mean, you can, you can always, and I think this is a little bit of the reason why a lot of people get taken in by these stories is that we all like to think that we can tell when someone's lying to us, but you know, having people, tell you a story that appears to have clearly moved them. You know, for me, regardless of whether or not that event itself really happened the way that they describe it, something happened that made them, uh, that left an impression on them. But on the other hand, you then have these groups or these people who are clearly in it to make a buck or to try and get attention for themselves or to try and, you know, promote a movie or a book deal or a TV show or whatever. Or all three. Or all three. And it becomes, in some ways, it's kind of, I think it, it I think it actually does harm to people in a way that we don't really, we don't really think of. You know, I mean, I mean, the way I like to think of it is, you know, imagine that, imagine that you were going to, you know, like in Fight Club, right? You're going to a group, uh, you're going to a group therapy session for people who are dealing with a terminal illness or something. And then it comes out that, one of the people in the group doesn't actually have a terminal illness. They're just there doing research for a book or something, or they're just there because they like, they just think it's interesting. Right. In some ways it's sort of a, I mean, and part of that is just people getting their stories out there in the first place. And that's, you know, when people come on shows like this or on TV or whatever, that's the way it goes. But I do think though, that there is something, um, there is something immoral about people making these stories up for no good reason. And I think there's also something immoral about people taking advantage of those individuals. I, I, I'll put it this way and not to be able to insult anybody out there or to, well, again, I don't really care because I've gotten everything from like death threats to uh, insults. You, you name it, doing my own podcast, very similar to yours. And I, I started on the, the woo, strange, weird and wonderful world of paranormal. And then I just kind of got tired of it. So I'm, I'm used to it at this point. Um, the paranormal or the experiencer, and this is this is my understanding up to up to this point. The paranormal and the experiencer community is a community of of lost, broken toys. If that makes any sense, it is for people whom, for whatever reason in their life, um, they have not felt special, or they have not felt loved, or they have not felt uh, somebody's paid attention to them, and something happens to them, and maybe something actually happened to them, but you know, or they're just thinking that something happened to them or something made them believe that something happened to them. And they're like, well, now I'm actually special. Now I matter. And they find other people who have similar experiences and they share those experiences and they huddle together in this mass of, 
I've been abducted by Nordic aliens who told me that next Friday the moon will be fuller or whatever, you know, bullshit that they spout out. And there's, there's many, many, many things I've been told, but predominantly people who have experiences are broken people. Um, not, not to say that the people who claim and they clutch to the fact that they have experiences are broken people in some way, shape or form. I was going to say, I think that, I think we have to make a distinction, right? Because there's, there are the, there's the group of people who have had experiences, whether or not, again, you know, there, okay, there's kind of a Venn diagram here, right? There's the group of people who have had experiences, and then there is the group of people who claim to have had experiences and have turned it into a career of sorts or an identity of sorts. It's it's right. It is the fact that there are people whom defined their identity based on that experience. I've had experiences. Right, right. I don't define my identity on it. I'm I'm I define my identity by the fact that I'm a complete asshole, but I've got a heart of gold. That's my identity. The fact that I've seen a UFO doesn't matter to me whatsoever. You know, <laughs> like, right, like I love how you threw in the heart of gold thing there. <laughs> yeah, but a heart, of, but a heart of gold though. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with you. It is. It's a. There's something weird about groups like that, or you know, there's something strange about turning, and I and I can see why people would do it in some cases where you take something bad that's happened to you and you turn it into your identity. Right. I think you see that a lot of the times with people who have, who are past addicts, right. Where they um, it's so hard to cope with the challenges that they've kind of gone through and and with the event itself of being addicted to something that um, it becomes part of their identity. And so you have people that turn it into a very positive part of their identity, but then you also have people who turn it into kind of the, the focus of that identity. Right. And I think that there does have to be a, dis- a distinction between those two things. Um, and I think in this case, especially when it's something like with the UFO world or with any of these, you know, and I think the UFO world is particularly bad about this oh, because there is so much, um, I don't know, mon- there's not really money in it, but there's just so much, so much like fake fame or so much odd you know, that was one thing that, that struck me when I joined MUFON and started being, you know, part of their kind of research side of things for whatever that was worth was the oddness of, you know, suddenly I had people coming out of the woodwork saying to me, oh, my God, you know, this this is so great. You're so smart. This is going to be amazing. And it's like, well, you don't know anything about me, right? Like I could be a charlatan, too. I could be lying. I could be making all that stuff up. Um you know, but be, they just want to, they just want to trust everyone. They just want to trust everyone. And it's, it's a wild, it's a wild thing to be part of. I don't know. I don't really understand it. Yeah. It, again, it, it comes down to the new, it's, it's a new religion. Uh, people have lost faith with churches because of good, goodness knows what, whether it's uh, sexual abuse scandals or, um, you know, people just taking a shit ton of money in there. All of a sudden they're like, like, oh, yeah, send me money so I can buy a jet so that I can spread the word of God, <laughs> you know, to the people of the world. I need a private jet, not the G4. I need the G5 with, you know, this it, it, it people have lost. I'm going to say some people have lost faith, faith with that. And they've moved on to the the new higher being, which is the extraterrestrial, which is to mix in. Uh, more of the scientific explanation of where we are or where we're going to be. And there's no necessarily uh, proof to 
a lot of the dogma that has been um, put out there. Like, as I said, like everything starts with Bob Lazar and George Knapp and, you know, God bless his soul. (laughs) I'm using that term very loosely because who knows? Uh, And if George, you've listened to this, you know, you, you, you can, you you can take a jump off of a a very short pier, but you you can cut that out. That's fine. Um, (laughs) You could, you could take a long walk off a short pier just because it's because of those two, the entire current uh, perspective of UFO and government involvement and government cover-ups was started with Bob Lazar uh, and Area 51. Before that, there was no real talk about Area 51. And the idea of there being something bigger than them, bigger than yourself, bigger than what you currently are in your life and, and your understanding is very alluring to people. People want to feel like they're part of something larger or that they're in the know. And if they're part of something larger and then in the know, and they know something that is maybe, you know, their neighbor doesn't, well, that makes them feel special because, Hey, there's when, when we were a very primitive species, or I'm going to say primitive species, because we still are primitive species. But when we were a primitive society and information of where to get water, where to be, where the best hunting grounds were, was the difference between your tribe's uh, survival uh, and you know being eaten alive by uh, a pack of coyotes or goodness knows what's what was out there? You know, giant mammoths or giant beavers. We'll, we'll go with giant beavers because they, they were around a long time ago. It's very Canadian of you. Well, thank you. Okay, um, <laughs> those you know those pieces of information were were important. Uh, th- this is something that has been passed on through our society, and whether it's training or it's genetic. Uh, you know, that type of thing makes people feel powerful. As they say, knowledge is power. Well, yeah, knowledge is power, but is it the right knowledge? <laughs> you know? Well, one, one, one thing I've noticed, cause you know, and again, I think we kind of, uh, you know, we, we take, we obviously take different paths to this same kind of conclusion or this, you know, overall, I would say that we kind of argue from the same point of view somewhat, right? That you just use big words. <laughs> well, I was going to say, right. I think, I think the difference is kind of the tone. Right. And so I, I wanted to ask you about that actually. Cause you know, a lot of people give you pushback because you're very, uh, I mean, some would say aggressive, right. With your rhetoric, others would say that you're cutting through the bullshit. Right. Um, you know, I think it's probably oftentimes more of the latter than it is the former, but I wonder, you know, I wonder what do you want. Do you I want always ask story. My, you want to know the story? Well, no, I don't. I don't want to know the story because I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get into uh, what's it? We, we've. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here. But I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is right. Um, what I always ask myself this: What is the best way? Is there a way to actually convince people that they are wrong about anything no. ever? No, there isn't. No, and it, and that's the thing, right? I I want to say I want to be ever hopeful. That there has to be a way. You know, I, I have to believe that rational people, given the right amount of information, will make the right decision most of the time. But I but honestly, if being part of the UFO world, even in the small part that I was in, has if it's given me anything, it has made me more cynical about that idea. Well, here's the thing, right? Decision making, and this goes on to my line of work, which is um, you know, sociology, advertising human behavior, uh, how to be able to influence uh, thoughts and actions through information. 
it's something that I've, uh, that I'm consider myself an expert on. I've been doing it for 20 years. Uh, and every single decision is emotion based. Even if you have rational information or flat out proof, you could tell somebody that the, the sky is pink and they can think, Oh man, the sky is pink. And if the sky is actually blue, if they think it's pink, they'll still think it's pink and think, Oh, well that must be a, you know, a lie or I'm hallucinating or something. Even if somebody has the right information, if they strongly believe in something because of some emotional attachment or some emotional bias, uh, they're, they're going to go with that emotional bias over the rational information 10 times out of 10. Um, the only way that that can change is if they have a personal experience themselves, which disproves their bias. And that can be jarring enough to then have them look at the information from a different perspective. And it's very difficult to do that. Like you, you look at people whom, and this is, this is my own example. Um, I, I used to be a big Apple fan, a big Apple fan. And then my MacBook pro and my, my iMac recently, um, died actually the last two days, the video card finally went on it after like seven or eight years. But my, my, you know, my MacBook was having issues and Mac fans, they're, they're, <laughs> you know, loyal to a fault. And I realized, okay, well, I cannot afford a new high-end MacBook Pro. And I need, I need to do work. I need to make sure that I can apply my craft and, and podcast. And I did not have the four or $5,000 necessary to build the machine. So, or buy the machine. So I actually like went out and learned how to hack and tosh and realized, oh crap, you know, this is much cheaper and my computer is much better than what Apple could have gotten me. And it was fun to be able to build. And then I had this whole new perspective of this is a different way. This is new information. This is, this was a new way to look at the product that I was, or the brand that I was identifying with. And I changed my perspective on saying, well, no, why is Apple producing you know, hardware that can die on you fairly quickly and fairly easy. Why are they using substandard parts and then charging more than their competitors when I can build an equivalent machine, if not better for half the price, you know, then I'm like, well, <laughs> screw Apple in, in terms of computers. Mm. That was, that was the information change. That was the experience change that shifted my perspective. See but So I guess, I guess though, what I wonder then is so for, first off in the, in the world of the, in the world of the paranormal or UFOs or whatever, right? It seems like that is an always losing battle then, unless you have some kind of Scooby-Doo-esque moment where, you know, the you pull the mask off the alien and it turns out, you know, oh my God, it's been, you know, whoever this whole time, right? Um, so I, I, you know, but I wonder though, isn't that experience what shows like the ones that we do? Isn't that the experience we're trying to bring them? Right. I mean, that's kind of what I view myself as doing or trying to do, at least in some cases, is bringing a new perspective to them in a way that is not um, difficult for people to handle. Right. If if I guess I'm wondering, do we as a community of people who think that we are we think that we have, you know, we have the good faith of this community in mind. Or, or we at least have good intentions behind what we're trying to do. 
when we are trying to talk to people about their real genuine experiences and also determine if experiences are genuine or not, or how can we even determine that or whatever versus say a more, uh, a more aggressive toned skepticism, you know, like kind of, you know, James Randi type or something where it's constantly trying to attack or do you know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder what the fine line is there because, you know, I mean, frankly, you know, the reason that I got off of Facebook was because it became too much in the yeah. UFO world well, to argue with people and try to make them see sense. Right. I mean, it's you can't it just you can't it becomes it becomes mind uh, numbing. You are right? trying to cut through so many messages. And, and the thing is, if people are going to look out on YouTube. They're going to get their confirmation biases through podcasts or or whatever. And you're you are competing with a dogma that has been so ingrained in people's minds and it is it, essentially, it is a dogma that has been based off of a lie, as I said, starting from, you know, like 30 years ago, which was used to sell books, sell movies, sell advertising space for TV shows. It's entertainment. So that entertainment, that paradigm that people have clothed themselves in, which gives them the easy answer for potentially in some cases very complex or unknowable things at this stage in our in our society um if they think that they already have the answer why would they listen to you saying like no you're wrong we don't know what this is well well this guy has the answer why would i listen to you you know that's that's what you're cutting right, through and they right. people have been bombarded with this stuff for decades for decades you know it's, and it's it is such a finely crafted narrative that it is next to impossible to deal with. And as you said, you just left Facebook because it was overwhelming. I stopped podcasting for what, six months, eight months. Like I, I was sitting on the lake uh, during my vacation and the end of August going, what the hell am I doing with my life? Talking with these people, I was getting lambasted and, 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 you know, attacked nonstop by absolute lunatics. Did you know that I was trolled by a Kabbalah cult at one point? <clears throat> I'm not kidding. You made it. Oh, and it's like, you made it. Like, oh man, like, well, we're, we're going to put a hex on you. I'm like, like you, like you, you're, you, you claim to know Kabbalah. Well, yeah. Like, well, listen, I'm a 32nd degree Freemason. What the fuck can you teach me about the Kabbalah that I don't already know? Like, seriously, motherfuckers. Like, oh my God. Like it is, it, it is this, 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 uh, what, what's the term? It, no, it's, it, I, I, I get what you're saying. It's an impossible. It's, yeah, it's it, it, exactly. It is, it is, it is a it is a dogma in the sense that the the less you buy into sense in some ways in these fields, the easier it is to be accepted in them, and so therefore the better it looks for you. What? So, all right, cha- go ahead. Go ahead. Changing gears here a little bit, right? <laughs> so cha- changing gears here a little bit. I I wonder. What do you think the best UFO case of all time is? If you were to pick one, do you think any of them are real? Because that's the thing. Being part of, if again, being a part of MUFON for that short period of time, being involved in these Facebook groups and things, talking to these people, going to these meetings and everything else, all it's done is it, it has over time lowered the percentage of cases that I think are genuine. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've gone from thinking, you know, well, maybe it's 10%. So like maybe it's five percent to you know maybe one guy saw one. <laughs> you know it, the it, the the level of of 
assuredness goes down. And it's hard to understand how that that same example or experience doesn't happen for people. But anyways, if you had to pick one, if you were to give me one that you thought this is the one that I think really happened, which one would it be? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, it's good. Only, no, it's, it's the only one that I can confirm. Well, so what is okay? So why don't you tell us about your experience then? Let's let's hear the story. Okay, so and oh my god, I've told this thing so many times. Uh, this might have been uh, I forget honestly at this point I forget the year now because I used to I there was a lot of scotch the last couple of years podcasting as the theme <laughs> of the show, so it's a little bit a little bit sketchy. Um, I think it was 2013 or 2014, uh, and it was just the start of the summer. I was up at the cottage, which is now currently underwater due to flooding. Thank you, global warming. Um, and it might've been, a, might've been June, might've been July, but it was like the early summer. I was uh, at the cottage with my wife and her uncle, and I saw a glowing orb, uh, which, you know, everyone else had gone to bed. I was outside on the deck having a cigarette before I went to bed myself and fireflies were out. They were doing their thing. And up above the treetops, there was a dancing glowing orb, like basketball, you know, shaped, orange yellowish dancing orb <laughs> and i don't know what the hell it was all i know is it scared the crap out of me enough that i hid in the uh washroom with a you know antique shotgun for the entire night until the sun started coming up because i'm like oh my god they're coming to get me um and it freaked me right out i didn't know what it was and there's a good possibility that it was earthquake lights or you know ball lightning or something but you know at the time i was really deep into ufos and i'm like man, I saw some aliens, you know, or something along those lines. But as time has come on, it's like, okay, well, I don't know what it was. So that would be my unidentified flying object because it was unidentified and it was flying. I don't know if it was aliens or not. I don't know if it was a natural phenomenon, but it actually happened. And that's kind of the major difference to myself compared to a lot of reports that even I've gotten. Like, um, there's one guy that sent me a Facebook story about how he was being tracked by the Mossad and the CIA and that he'd been abducted like 50 million times or, or whatever crazy bullshit that he was coming up with. And every single one of his photos was blurry, out of focus and through a screen door. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like right, the best, the yeah. best conditions. And the yeah. thing is, I have a photo of the orb that I saw. But it was taken on a, on, a, on, a, on a like a Blackberry, like one of those crappy Blackberries, not like the 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 Priv, which had a decent camera on it. But I think I had like the Z10 or the Z30 at that point, so the low light mm. imaging was shit. <laughs> and I'm like looking at this thing, going, "I am like, oh my goodness, I'm a cliche, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm right, literally great. A cliche. Oh great, yeah. But no one believes me that I saw it because like, oh well, the UFO guy. You know, my family's like, oh, the UFO guy saw UFO. Surprise, surprise. But, you know, like, it's not the only strange lights I've seen in the sky. I've seen, you know, just interesting moving straight lights that have just disappeared, you know, after traveling for a certain period of time in the sky that were not blinking, didn't have running lights. I lived, I lived near an airport for my entire life. I know what an airplane looks like. Um, so I've seen satellite looking things, but they were not satellites. You know, satellites, they'll have a certain amount of um continuous movement from from uh you know horizon to horizon or what have you where it's like oh no this is like moving in a 90 degree angle and then just like kind of disappears into the black so i've seen mm -hmm. stuff like that but you know 
But the orb, though, was the scariest, kind of most close thing you've ever had. I hid in a washroom with an antique shotgun. No shells. Keep that in mind. And in that washroom, there was not even enough room to swing the damn thing. So that's how scared I was. Where it's like yeah, right. rationality well, right out the right out the window. <laughs> so how um how I have a couple questions, right? It. So the first one is how what size? I I, I think you mentioned it, but like it, it it's did it change size? Was it a consistent size? Did it? I'm gonna say it was a consistent size. Um, like again, I'm I'm remembering a thought. You know, or I'm remembering a. Me- I'm remembering a memory, which is when every single time you do that, you're remembering the last one that you remembered it. Right. You're, re, right, so, you're rewriting it. Yeah. yeah. All I know is that it was above the treetops. It could have, it honestly could have been far away. I thought mm. it was far away at the point. Like I'm looking at this thing going like, okay, well we were in a place called Castleford and you know, it, it could have been as far away as a kilometer or two, you know, or, or let's say, you know, a okay. mile, a mile away. I don't know. But it didn't sure. change shape. It didn't change consistency of color. It just, you know, it was just there. And I knew that it was it was not close like the fireflies. You you could tell a certain amount of distance. This was far enough away that I didn't know how far away it was. But it was large right, enough right, that right, I could no, clearly yeah. distinguish its size, and I could make it out. You know, compared to the the blackness of the sky. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's one question I always ask people. You know, I the way that I view this stuff is the more and more the public gets their hands on the information, and in some way that's good, right? It's it's kind of a funny conundrum, right? I think the UFO world thinks that they want, just like they think that they want scientists to be involved, that's that's not what they actually want, right? They want to feel they want to feel vindicated by science. They don't want to have a discussion with scientists to have them come in and say, you have no data, right? Or you have no evidence. You've done nothing for the last 70 years. That's, you know, they don't actually want to have a good faith discussion with science. They want to be vindicated by science. Well, it, I the funny thing is that I, one of my I, UFO experiences, I actually had a, a scientist. I talked to um, an astronomer friend of mine. He's, um, well, he, his expertise is actually impact craters. Uh, but okay. we, 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 he was on one of my first podcast episodes, like way back when we, we drank like a 26 or of, of like 14 year old scotch and you know, got completely blasted. It was awesome. And I told him the experience that I had once when I was looking at, you know, I saw a UFO and he's like, okay, well, where did it go? And I, I pointed out the window. It went from like here to here. Cause at that point my studio was in my, my bedroom and I could see the, the direction of where it actually was. And he looked at it and he's like, so it was there to there. I'm like, yeah, that was the international space station. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually went and checked right, yeah. and I'm like what, like what was the pathway from this holy shit it probably was the international space station right yeah you know? so a lot of the times people don't want to they want to be vindicated but they don't want to be told that they were wrong no no absolutely not well that was the other part that I was going to the second part I was going to say I guess is too that they also the UFO community also thinks they want the media or the public to be interested in this subject but in some ways, that's also it's going to be the worst thing for them because suddenly they're going to have scrutiny of the media and the public and these groups. And they're just going to come across, you know, it's going to be ancient aliens, but on a massive scale, oh, right? It's going to they're just going to look the media doesn't give they're going to look terrible. The media doesn't give a shit. No, 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 no. But that's but that's what I'm saying, though, right? If if they were to have the public's attention in some way, it's hard not to think that the UFO world would just would would flub it. You know what I mean? They just like they've done every other time. Um, but the, 
the things that I like to look for with these cases as they become more popular and things is looking for pieces of evidence that are common enough that are, are uncommon enough that people would not necessarily know about. Right. So things like, you know, smells or specific uh, names or, or physical feelings or stuff like that, that, you know, it's different than just the general, well, I was abducted and a thing with gray skin saw me and, you know, whatever. Right. It's a little bit more distinct than that. I would say, um, if you had to pick a piece of evidence that you think, let's say, okay, you're, 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 we give you three cases and you got a million dollars on the line and you have to pick the one that is genuine, right? What piece of evidence are you looking for? Is this evidence that I've collected myself? Yes. Let's say you've done the interviews you have uh, collected the evidence at the scene or whatever, you know, whatever, right? If you were to decide between three cases, which one did you think was genuine or the most likely to be genuine? How are you going about that? What are you looking for? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. See, this is kind of a tough question because the only real evidence would be physical evidence. Um, testimony's worth shit. It's, it's it, okay. I should say testimony is a lead, but in terms of evidence, it is the worst kind of evidence. Well, sure. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're going, you're going though for, let me, let me rephrase it. Let me okay. rephrase it. Right. Cause yeah, obviously, you know, okay. Yeah, we got a piece of metal. You'd be like that. Maybe that's the one, right? If, if you were looking between, if someone's telling you a story, that they have had an encounter with something like a UFO or even an abduction, right? Let's get more specific. Let's say an abduction event, right? They think they've been abducted. What is a tell for you that maybe something interesting is worth looking into here versus this person is just making it up or this person is just mistaken or a nightmare or whatever. Um, Okay, here, here, this is this is where it comes to the point where you can tell that I'm I'm not you know smarter than your average bear. Um, I would find out what clothing they were wearing during that period of time, if they still have it. If you know, if they said like, oh well, I the, the clothing was taken and I showed up naked, or I don't wear anything. Okay, how long ago was the abduction? Okay, cool. Let's see how radioactive you are. Hmm. So you'd be looking for radioactivity, but you'd still be going for physical yeah. evidence, though. Yeah. And even the mm. thing, I I, w- I would test the clothing for for radioactivity. Interesting. Or, you know, if there's any um, chemical compositions that, you know, don't account for their environment or, you know, things like uh, uh, fabric softener, detergent that would be accounted for or human sweat or what. Sure, you know, sure, if, sure. If, yeah. if the clothing was taken off and they're just like, oh, well, you know, I showed up next to my bed and the clothing was off. They're like, did you go drinking the night before? Did you go to a nightclub? Were you at a rave? <laughs> why, right. Why do your pajamas have nitro, you know, nitride compounds on them? Yeah. Why, well, why, why was the that, bottom cut out of it? You know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? No. Well, that's, that's the thing. I think, you know, it's so interesting, right? I've, I've recently been thinking about maybe. Well, here's the thing. If, if they had, 
uh, if the clothing were taken off by the aliens or by the extraterrestrials or whatever the hell you want to call them, and they're living beings, and they did not wash a clothing, then there's a very good chance that there is some type of evidence, uh, you know, either bacterial or DNA evidence from those beings or from the craft itself, unless it's like, you know, there's some kind of crazy robots or, or geoengineered <laughs> androids that are, that, are, that are abducting them or something. You know, like, again, maybe the gray aliens or, or androids, who knows? But there should be some indication that they were in an environment that is unknown. So, yes, the physical evidence would be something that would be indicative. Like, you know, testimony is worth, worth crap. Radiological is, is um, the next go-to. They could say like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the husks of the wheat were put down properly. Okay, well, is the, the circle radioactive and outside the circle is not? You know, that, that's a way to be able to tell. Is there something that is going on here that could at least lead me to believe that, that anything that the, in, that the extraterrestrials were near or, or had touched or been in contact with in any way, shape or form, is there something there that is out of the ordinary? And, hmm. you know, whether it's chemical, whether it's biological, whether it, it's radioactive, um, there should be something that indicates that there is something that was not normal in the environment. And that's something that is not really done, like some radiological stuff, maybe. But like even to the Stars Academy, they don't they don't have a, you know, anybody who can test metamaterials. They got like sports scientists. <laughs> like if, if you need yeah, somebody it's... to check your concussion. Sure, we can we can do that. But metamaterials. No, no, that that's, you know, like we're just going to drive that across the country and. Posted on YouTube. Well, it's also such a funny use of the word, right? Metamaterials. I don't think they realize that that it's like using the word nano, right? I mean, meta meta material can quantum. mean anything to anyone. It's just you know, quantum, right? It's like a woo. It's a woo catch all. People don't term, understand. You know it. I mean, it sounds weird and it's catchy, so they go with it. Yeah, it's uh, it's ridiculous. So, um, so how how so so how would I f- determine what is Genuine. So you'd still be you'd you'd still be going for physical you'd, evidence though. Without you'd be physical going for something evidence, that, all it is is a nice story. That's it. It's nothing. Yeah, no. That's it. And, and I think that's probably a good. That's probably a good answer. Because <laughs> you're probably right, man. So what is your favorite non UFO spookiness? What would you say, Loch Ness monster? You in a Mothman? Are you, you like me? uh? You, that, you that, like that uh, flasher in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, like, it's like, it's, it's like, such oh a God, fun story. Man. Okay. Did, did he, did he touch you? <laughs> it's like, it's either some people on drugs or a guy in a costume or that there was that one photo that it's like, Oh, it's Mothman. No, that's a kite. That's a kite. I found the kite online. No, like yeah, it is, it is the kite. We kite. talked, we it's talked about it on the show. It was kind of funny. Yeah. It turned out to be a kite. Um, did you, you know, we, we recently, we started doing one. We, Marie and I on, on uh, an episode that'll be releasing here soon. We did the Chupacabra, Ooh. right? And it's such a fascinating case study in how one of these mythologies gets created in real time, you know? And the Mothman is kind of that same thing where it's like it was made up in the moment, right? It was it was built up around this whole thing, and it's kind of whatever you need it to be. Anyway, sorry. Continue your story. So what, what's your – I mean, I don't know. What's what, wackiest I mean, one? I'm, what's your I'm favorite one to talk history about? guy mostly. Um, okay. I'm I'm gonna like it, as far as like, sp- spookiness. I'm gonna say telepathy. Well, weirdness, or, weirdness, conspiracies, any of it, man. Okay, pre- precognition. Okay, because there's something about this. There is something about uh, the brain being able to process information on such a high level, subconsciously, that you know you can get a hunch about something and be right. 
because there is something coming to your consciousness from all the shit you're taking in that your brain then says, this is, this is something you should take a look at. And then, you know, that's something that's interesting to me. Um, you know, it's funny. That's always been the way that I've thought of it too, is your, it's your brain, you know, a hundred times, you know, once out of every hundred thousand times, your brain will calculate the chances correctly and you'll be able to predict something going on in the future. Right. Um, I'm with you there. I think, I think that's probably an interesting way of looking at it. Anyways, continue. I don't know. I'm a big fan of, um, I'm going to say lost civilizations, but not like, not like the crazy ancient aliens, lost civilizations, like the, <laughs> the, uh, migratory patterns of, homo sapiens and Denisov, you know like denisovians or or just mammals in general uh, of the bipedal uh type and their uh, you know migration to the western world um oh also giants i love i love giants i can i can't stand a lot of the hoopla mythos that's out there because you know like uh, x contributor to my show before i kind of went like, okay, well, fuck all this, this woo woo bullshit. This is crazy. I, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, had a contributor named Denver Michaels, fantastic guy, great author, good gentleman. I can't say a bad thing about him. Um, we were going to like, we were going to write a giant book and we determined mm -hmm. that giants were either, uh, people with, you know, just abnormally large people. So, you know, there, there was, there was just this, this offshoot or this clan of just very large people, like, uh, you know, a bunch of Andre, the giants running around type of thing. Right. And you know, right. just the interbred and they're like, okay, well now we got like some, some 10 foot tall, large motherfuckers running around, um, or aliens. It was the only two things or, or sorry, no three things. So it was either like just large people, aliens or hundred percent bullshit. <laughs> those are the only three things we huh. could determine interesting and it was like okay so it's one of those three things like there's so many stories about it in all throughout history it has to come from somewhere uh i you know even determined that most of the stuff most of the stuff that was out there like if you go to uh biblioteca pleiades which is this giant, oh what a great website you know, like it, it's the the perfect place if you want to learn how to give yourself a crystal suppository to open up your chakras <laughs> Um, my chakras are so open now. So, open. so open. Anyways, continue. <laughs> so open. The quartz, the quartz is in me. Oh, God. Good. God. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the giants was kind of a big thing for me. And then reading some of the stuff like on, on Biblioteca Pleiades about like Atlantis and all this stuff. It's like, okay, Atlantis, there's, there was geological evidence for an archipelago existing in the middle of the Atlantic during the last ice age. Due to isosity or isostasy, um, with the large ice plates pushing down on the North American uh, plate, which then basically just bulged the edges of the plates up, which then gave us um, islands in the Atlantic. Now, if you're talking about flying spaceships and crystal laser beams and all that shit, I don't believe it. Not for a second. Uh, you know, be a temperate place where, you know, a people potentially settled during the Ice Age trying to get from the uh ice shelves uh on the european continents and trying to see well where other what other hunting grounds do we have uh they did have boats so that is a possibility and yeah you know kind of just the stories about that it, it's cool it's interesting there is enough evidence out there to to be able to say it's a possibility 
And, um, you know, it's kind of my bag because it's like, well, where did we come from? Like, you know, the the Giants thing, the Giants stories are ones that I have never. Yeah, I've always kind of just taken it as, you know, yeah, there were. Yeah. Oh, oh there were genetic anomalies back then, too. Right. Of people who grew super tall or whatever, you know, that's always kind of been the way that I looked at those things Um, with the lost civilizations. It's it's I'm also pretty fascinated with the idea of, you know, how far back can we really go? And we're always we're always pushing back the earliest date that humans had tools or the earliest. You know what I mean? We're always pushing those dates back. And it's so interesting to me to think. You know, what do we know really about, you know, the Olmecs or even the Aztec or the Mayan or, you know, uh, well, you look at civilizations. Gobekli Tepe, and I'm not going to do the whole, <clears throat> you know, crazy. Oh, they predicted, uh, you know, the meteor <laughs> impact. Um, no, there there are a plethora of stone circles that have not been uncovered. Uh, I Nobody knows really what the usage of that area was. All we know is that, it, you know, it's it's like 13,000 years old or, or older. Completely sure. carved in relief carving, which is an advanced stone uh, cutting technique. You know, they, they instead of carving the animals into the stone, they carved the rest of the stone away to to reveal the animal. So that that is something that takes planning. That's something that takes, um, you know, resources, logistics. You, know, you can't you, you can't expect a hunter gatherer society where their logistics is. Hey, you see that that bison over there, or, the, or that mammoth? Yeah, let's go kill it and eat it. <laughs> You're expecting them to be able to right, it, to it, move multi-ton right, blocks would... and then relief carve them, move them, align them to the stars, and then cover them up on purpose uh, several thousand years later, and then you know leave them buried for ten thousand years. That's basically what happened, and nobody can explain that. That to me is interesting. No, it's, it's it is completely fascinating. It's a really it's part of it's part of why those shows like that are so frustrating because you know I remember growing up watching documentaries and reading books about those civilizations and you know they they had their bit of woo in them right of course like you know they always did but a lot of the times what it was asking were these questions of you know well the Egyptians had advanced mathematics knowledge that the Western world lost and it was continued in the Muslim world, right? Isn't that interesting? Or, you know, um, like you're saying, the relief carving, right? That's an advanced stoneworking technique. Well, that seems to suggest that our idea of what these peoples were capable of isn't maybe correct. That is interesting enough for me without having an alien come down and give them laser carving techniques, you know? It's just such a frustrating situation because you... You're, they're getting people interested in these civilizations, and on that hand, it's a good thing. But on the other hand, they're you know spreading ridiculousness, and you're ah, oh, it's just you don't even know what to do well, with. There's it. always a possibility, and I'm I'm not going to discount completely the uh, ancient alien hypothesis because anything's possible. Um, John Ward, Egyptologist, says it's like we don't know, we weren't there. That's his tagline, and we don't know. All we can do is guess. We don't have any physical evidence. All it is is just again, it's a cool story. It, it's a possibility, but we can't say without a, with, you know without a shadow of a doubt one way or another whether it actually happened or not. There are a ton of mythologies and and stories that have been passed down through 
uh, various tribes or various um, peoples or societies that, you know, even the Christian faith itself has some pretty interesting things. If you read Ezekiel that make you go, Hmm, that's interesting, but you can't honestly automatically or automatically go to, uh, it was aliens or I don't know. Therefore aliens it's, it is a, uh, an abdication of common sense and reasoning, but it, you can't rule it outright. So, and, and that's the fine line between skepticism and, and belief you have to kind of have in, in this field. And, you know, like, even if you look at the pyramids, uh, if, if you had an, an advanced, uh, alien race that came down and visited us and said, okay, we're going to build some pyramids and we're going to align it to, uh, you know, true North, but we're going to, you know, leave it off by a couple of degrees. You, you think that, that an ancient advanced society that traveled faster than light or, you know, or, you know, at relative speeds to our planet and had the capability to build a ship that could do that would be able to align it a hundred percent to true North, not just a couple of tenths of a degree off, you know, <laughs> like the, the blocks for that, um, are not perfectly cut. They're very well placed together and there are stone working techniques that we have today that can do it. So when they say like, Oh, well, you know, they're, they're so tightly packed together. You can't put a piece of paper together. I'm sorry. I got some houses in my neighborhood or at least across the street from my, you know, in the rich neighborhood where they're, they're made of stone and you, you, you can't, you can't fit a piece of paper between them. There, there's a, um, uh, a Serbian Orthodox church that is, it's a, it's a small church. Like it's, it's more like more or less like a larger chapel, but it's a church. Like it's a smaller community here in Ottawa. And they have completely marble encased chapel and it, it looks, you walk up to it and it's perfect. It looks perfect. And the, the, this is with, a, with, with current building techniques. You know, we can cut straight lines with a, with a diamond tip saw and fit two pieces together. Now, when it comes to like the, the more strange rocks where it looks like they were molded together, I, I can't explain that. <laughs> you, you got me on that. Um, but still like you, you look at, at, I forget his name, but he came up with a, a theory of the building of the pyramid where it was actually built with an internal ramp and Hmm. using the Nile to float the rocks from the quarry up the Nile to, to the building site. And then, you know, using rollers to, to get it through the ramp or, you know, to the internal ramp and then using a, a like lever and pulley system to turn the rocks around. So it could be, you know, pulled up the other side and there are. There are um, imaging techniques that were used on the pyramids, which show that there is some type of internal structure, which makes it look like it's a spiral you know, ramp on the inside. And they've even found one of the potentially found one of the chambers that uses it. Now, these techniques are considerably advanced, but for society that may have been building the pyramid for, like, let's say, 100 or 200 years. And I know they'll say, like, oh, it was built in 20 years. Bullshit. The cathedrals took hundreds of years to build right with thousands of right. people working on them. Like you're, you're talking about cathedrals, which with, don't have anywhere near the stone mass, uh, that, that these pyramids do. So you can make it easier to do. And it obviously wasn't, uh, an external ramp because that would have taken more rocks than the pyramid itself. So, you know, there was a video you can find on YouTube that actually goes through the entire technique and it's using architectural, um, uh, uh, premises to, to to develop it and it, it's it's very very well thought out now the interesting part about the 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 main like the giza pyramid uh 
and and that that complex. So that entire complex was actually built on a hill where they leveled the hill and then they put a base. So you're, you're talking about literally almost like moving a mountain and they mm-hmm. not the place you want to put this thing, <laughs> you know, engineer, uh, uh, engineering wise, it is the, the worst possible place you could actually build a structure on because it was, you know, there was a sloping plateau or, or whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a stonemason, but I've sure, yeah. moved on this. So they, they leveled the land and then built a base which is larger than the actual base of the, of the pyramid itself. Which, and they had to do that before they even started building it. Mm. So in terms of techniques, my question is not, okay, what were the aliens that did it? Is where did they get the knowledge to do that? How old is the knowledge that they had used to build those structures? Because the pyramids right. themselves, if you look at them, th- <clears throat> architecturally, Egypt got shittier as time went on the, mm-hmm. te- the pyramids themselves and any, any of the structures that they've uncovered in, uh, in, in Egypt and on the Giza plateau, uh, as time goes on. And if you, as you, they move from the old to the middle to the new kingdom, the architecture gets shittier. <laughs> so they started out and popped out of nowhere with advanced building and stone cutting and architectural and, 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 uh, you know, geometric knowledge to, to do this. And the crazy part is not only did they have that, the measurements of the earth as well as phi and pi are encoded into that pyramid. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, so, yeah. you know, that, that to me is interesting. Hmm. You know, it's funny though, that the pi thing is almost a, um, the pi encoding of it inside of the mathematics of the structure itself is actually almost a trick of geometry more than it is a trick of, you know, if you build a pyramid or you build a triangular shape, you're going to get pi in there (laughs) just because of the way that triangles, just geometric laws. Do you know what I mean? It's an interesting kind of situation with that, but the pyramid is also one arc second in size. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's super, it it is super interesting. All these (laughs) ideas and things, this idea of the perfect geometry and all that stuff. It's, it's fascinating, man. Well, listen, Zooks, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, we're done already? Super fun. We're done already, man. It's been an hour. Oh, man. I know. I can't believe it. Isn't that crazy? You didn't have any more questions? No, man. We are, uh, (laughs) no, dude, we're good. I think, honestly, you know what? I mean, uh, we'd love to have you come back on anytime, you know, for sure. And, uh, thank you so much. Any, where are the places that people can find you on the internet now? Um, just search Chris George Zuger on Twitter or I don't think you'd find me on Facebook because I'm pretty well hidden at this point because I got to hide from the crazies. Um, but Twitter, <laughs> you can still find me. Uh, just don't don't send me any dick pics, please. Or if you do, no, you yeah, know, like, if- uh, you know, Dick Clark, I'm good with. But, you know, keep your pants on, please. <laughs> Rick picks. All right. Uh, thank you so much, listeners. I am, as always, your host, Chris Cogswell. Uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook 
on Instagram and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woo-hoo. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.